Operation Christmas Child and uh, check it out. And you've got one more week to, to fill out a box with you and your family or whatever. There's that. Okay, so one week from tomorrow, we will decorate the stage and the church for Christmas. I can't believe we're here. I'm excited about that because last year, you remember, we were in purple as a state, and so we didn't meet on Sunday. So I am so excited to be back with everybody celebrating Christmas with the stage all decked out. If you're not doing anything a week from tomorrow, November 22nd, November 22nd, around 9 a.m., we're going to start. We have 10 trees to set up and a manger and some lights in the, um, the, the ends of the pews and things like that. If you would love that, if you want to help us, we would love that. So just show up at like 9 o'clock in the morning on November 22nd, and you can help us get the stage set up. That would be excellent. All right. I think <clears throat> that is <clears throat> everything I had to share from an announcement perspective. I'm continuing my November teaching series called We Got This. And what I want to do is, is talk through some scriptures that, for me, uh, I have turned to again and again and again in my life when I face stress or concerns. And uh, I just kind of want to say, you know, whatever you're going through, man, we got this. Because there's these scriptures uh, that we can focus on, these promises from God. So that's what we're doing. And as we enter today's which I'm going to call uh, either redirecting or alternative focus or dig in a better place or however you want to title that. Now, next Sunday is my favorite in the series. Here's the title for next Sunday. This is my wheelhouse. This is my jam. We got this. And if we don't, oh, well. So that's next Sunday. I'm excited for that. But uh, first, for the topic at hand today, going to talk about Jesus who, who he sort of redirects us, okay? And that's like, I hear that when I'm here during the week in the preschool teachers, uh, Rise and Shine Preschool of 150 kids that are, that are here on site, um, one of our ministries, our best ministry as a church, and they'll redirect kids. Um, you know, here's the negative, we're going to redirect you to positive. Now, when I was growing up, redirecting took place a lot faster and was rarely verbal. These days, <laughs> redirecting is, is, is a little bit different. Um, but, but we're going to see where Jesus sort of, um, when we have stresses and concerns, there's a, there's a case study here of a guy who had some stresses and concerns, and Jesus said, no, let's, let's think about it like this. So, so to get rolling, uh, let's talk about the time of year we're in. This is an incredibly exciting time of year. Now, there's college football and pro football, and I'm excited about that. Basketball starting up again. Obviously, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the holidays are upon us. Excited about that. But most importantly and significantly is the return of the greatest show on TV, The Curse of Oak Island. It's back for another season. How many fans do I have out there of The Curse of Oak Island? I see that hand. You guys are missing out. Me and my boys log some serious hours watching The Curse of Oak Island while my wife makes fun of us. She, like, mocks the show. Oh, I'm going to find another chunk of wood 200 feet under the ground in this episode. To which my older son Spencer says when she watches um, uh, This Is Us, well, I wonder who's going to get cancer today. Like, we just mock each other's TV shows. Um, it's dark. There's dark humor that happens in the Poindexter household. So, Curse of Oak Island, 
uh, there's this island in Canada, and, and people have been digging there for a couple hundred years. This is reality TV show, people, it really is happening. People, 200 years, have been digging to try to find this treasure, and, and there was like evidence from old documents and stuff like that of, of drilling down and finding gold, and there's so many uh, like um, uh, underground like um, uh, searcher um, tunnels, and, and they've collapsed over the years, and so it's all kind of shifted around down there, and, and right now the two Lagina brothers, uh, have, and they must be bazillionaires because they rent like this heavy equipment and pour millions of dollars into this every year. They bore down with these giant pipes that they stick 200 feet in the ground and get these core samples, and they're trying to find, they're, they're trying to figure out where to dig to find this ancient treasure, okay? So this is, and I promise I did not do this sermon just to talk about the curse of Oak Island. This is very similar to what Jesus is talking about today, because in life, and we all have this idea that there's something out there, and we're trying to find, you know, what is the pathway to joy and happiness? And there's a lot of stress in life that comes into our world unnecessarily because ultimately we're like digging in the wrong place. What we're going to see is Jesus is kind of like, you're all stressed out over that, but that's not even where you should be focused. Instead, focus here. We're going to see that. So one more thing before I get to the Jesus teaching. I'm going to go to ancient philosophy, ancient practical philosophy, Epictetus. He is my dude. I love Epictetus. Ask me how amazing the teachings of Epictetus are. So amazing, Herb. I'm glad you asked. I'm telling you, those like, you know, for me, Bible and the practical life wisdom of Epictetus. Look at what he says here. And he's, a lot of people have found this. Jesus taught this. He took, Jesus takes it to the next level, but it's out there in other places. He says, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. How awesome is that? I remember reading that for the first time. Now, I'm not any good at that. But I remember reading that, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. It's not about, like, like, real wealth comes, and other people have said, like, the quickest way to be wealthy is to not desire wealth. Like, there have been a lot of great men and women over the centuries that have said that idea, but it's more about learning you're enough, defining you're enough, and being okay in your enough, instead of aspiring to get, like, the quickest way to have everything you want is to not want everything. And I remember reading that, and I'm terrible at this, because like Apple will launch some new thing. And I'm like, oh, i got to have this thing that didn't even exist 15 minutes ago to be happy. And I remember just like the relaxation of, oh my gosh, that's, that's right, just define your enough. And then not need more than you're enough. And you're rich. So, so that idea is out there. Now let's take a look at the words of Jesus, because he spends a lot of time um, talking this through in, in different ways throughout the Gospels, but we're going to hang out in Luke chapter 12. If you want to turn there, great. Uh, my hope is to walk through a lot of the material in Luke chapter 12, and then for you this week to return to Luke 12 and, and read more of the words of Jesus and maybe apply it after you get the stuff from today and, and uh, you know apply it to your life. And, and Luke 12, when it comes to suburban life, and a lot of the stress we face as American suburbanites, Luke 12 is a very important passage of Scripture. 
like the whole thing. Okay, so I'm going to start off in verse 13. And uh, what we're, we're just going to see Jesus redirect. And he, he starts out with this guy uh, who, who, well, we'll read about it in a minute. But then he, he's going to eventually, uh, toward the end of my talk, you'll see he redirects toward another. He's like, no, dude, you're digging in the wrong place. You're, you're digging here for treasure. I'm telling you, it's over here. Okay, and it's, it's an inexhaustible uh, the things that we could um, unpack and apply to our lives. So here we go. This is Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's a crowd of thousands of people in Jesus. Name. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, Who made me judge or arbitrator over you? Now I laugh every time I read that, or I smile every time I read that, and I just picture Jesus with sort of a <clears throat> playful grin, because it's like the judge of the human soul, the, the, the judge with capital J, the, the, the judge of the universe, looks at this guy and says, who made me judge over you? And the guy, like, how do you even respond to that? Well, you're like God incarnate. But anyway, I find that funny. Must be a pastor thing. <laughs> and he said to them, take care. And beyond, so the, the issue on the table is the guy wants what's coming to him. The guy wants his fair share of this stuff that's out there. And he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, covetousness, jealousy. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So this guy thought he was going to throw his brother on a bus in front of a huge crowd and Jesus flips it and now this guy's standing there you know and he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops and he said I will do this I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul uh, you uh you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now I think... <clears throat> and these words from Jesus. Uh, he's tackling two of the great enemies to uh, the suburban pursuit of happiness or what you could call like life's treasure. Like there's two things that we often get hung up on, two wrong places that we dig, two uh, mindsets that often need redirected. And the first has to do with getting our fair share, the pursuit of our fair share. So the guy starts off with a reasonable request, right? That there's an inheritance, and I'm supposed to get this portion of the inheritance, and my brother is not giving me what I deserve. That, that's, I mean, that, that's reasonable. And Jesus, and, he, and, he's, and, and I guess for the purposes of this series, the guy's probably fairly stressed about it. I mean, you don't bring something up in front of thousands of people, yell out to a teacher before his presentation, have it, you don't involve uh, Jesus 
unless it's really bothering you. Like he, he's trying to work it out. He can't. He wants to take it, you know, to, to, to the next level and pursue. So he's got this stressor. And it seems reasonable, but Jesus says, well, don't want that stuff. Don't be jealous about material things. Um, and then he tells this story about a guy who just focused on getting and maintaining and increasing his possessions. And, and so what Jesus seems to say here is, is one of the, he's like, dude, one of the great enemies to the quality of your life is going to be wanting more of those things that you don't have. And when it comes to suburban America, we are, we are often so caught up in, in our fair share. Rather than defining our enough and living from the place of, hey, I have my needs met. <clears throat> so often we get so fixated on whether it's a neighborhood that we want to live in or a social group that we want to part, be a part of or what we want our kids to have or experiences or whatever. We get so, or a level of security, we get so caught up and stressed over pursuing uh, things beyond what we really need as our enough. And so Jesus points out just one of the great, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm talking to you like this, but I'm in this with you. One of the great enemies to earthly treasure, like, like and by that I mean to, to our joy and what we want in life, one of the places we, we dig in, you know, the, the wrong, the wrong place, one of the ways we dig in the wrong place is, is pursuing more than are enough. Like the rich man who was then faced with God. And Jesus calls that, um, he calls that gathering things for ourselves, but not being rich toward God. So that's his word to the guy with the problem, the guy who wants his fair share. He says, don't be led by jealousy and the desire for more. Instead, be rich toward God. So that's the first thing to, to think through, one of the, just one of the great enemies. And when you think about it, it's, it's usually things that we never even had anyway. Like, I, I think it's interesting that Jesus uses inheritance here, because how often I hear of... Um, <clears throat> Families that are thrown into chaos. Families uh, where they're estranged for decades. All over possessions and money that weren't even theirs to begin with. It's like you've gone up to this point without having that stuff. But then all of a sudden it becomes a possibility. And it just ruins everything. And it's interesting that Jesus uses the inheritance as an example to spring into that teaching because, I mean, I just, I've seen it. Just ruin families. All over stuff that they never even had to begin with a few weeks ago anyway. Let's look at a second enemy that Jesus addresses. <coughs> he talks about this man who has built bigger barns, which we could probably say if we want to get really, um, I don't know, dicey, uh, 
he had an expansive 401k, right? He had barns stored up to meet his needs for a long time, and he found his peace in that. But he died completely unprepared to stand before God. He was not rich toward God. He was poor toward God. And I think that's one of the if, if, if one of the enemies is, is pursuing um, um, what you want versus your enoughness or pursuing your fair share, another great suburban enemy of, of, of living within God's treasure or of finding what really matters in life is, is when we live for the temporary and not for the eternal. And this is a huge problem in suburbia where, where we just we have this ever increasing uh, trove of experiences, great vacations, of, of cars and toys and whatever, status, an ever increasing collection of things, <clears throat> all the while doing very little in our walk with God. And then we die, and all those things are left here. Like, like the, the, the parable is the man had this huge collection of worldly wealth. But now it's on this side, and he's on this side standing before God, and he's got nothing. And that's not a place, that's not a good place to be. And then all his stuff here is just scattered to the next person. And now he's standing before God with nothing. And, and I know, you know, it's just see it. That so much of, of suburban America is this, is this hardcore emotional anxious pursuit of gathering things with very little concern for what could be called spiritual wealth or standing with God. All our energies are spent building this in very and, and this is, this Jesus says this is temporary. And then there's the eternal. And you got to ask yourself, am I, am I preparing for the eternal? And, and what's the ratio? And this is, this is a terrifying like, parenting thing. Like, when we think about parenting, <clears throat> what am I spending financially, time, energy? Um, what am I, you know, anxious, anxiety, sleepless nights in my boys' lives? Uh, for them to have the, the worldly things that I'm talking about, whether it be um, um, the, the right friendships, uh, the, the right status on their team, making the team, getting the grade, <clears throat> whatever it is, the time and energy spent stressing over that versus time and energy and anxiety over are they becoming the young men that God wants them to become, are they serving, are they loving, are they, like, like, what's the balance? Energy spent developing the here and now in their life versus energy and, and concern and effort spent developing their souls. So you see the way that becomes an enemy for them. <clears throat> Some people have the ratio perfect. But for a lot of us, one of the great enemies to true happiness and contentment, one of the great causes of anxiety, is because we're living and pursuing <clears throat> primarily the temporary and neglecting our soul. <clears throat> All right. 
Fortunately, Jesus goes past just pointing to the enemies. The enemies of wanting more than we need and the enemies of pursuing the temporary and not the eternal. He goes beyond that and he redirects us. He says, instead, this is what your life can look like. So here we go. This is down in, in uh, 22. <clears throat> For me, this is one of those passages that, that has been incorporated deep into my uh, memory because I find myself referring to it a lot because I have, like, you know, by nature, I'm, I'm a little more on the, the, the warrior side of life. I get that from my mother who's here today. Um, and, and she gets that from her mother who is, is waiting on the other side for us. And um, this, this just has become an important passage, and I would suggest you return to it and, and internalize it. <clears throat> this is right after he talks about the, the, you know, the, the building barns, that kind of thing. So it will be for the man who, who um, is uh, rich in the things of this world, but not toward God. So here we go. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you believe, nor your body, about what you will uh, put on, what you'll wear. For life is more important than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have uh, neither storehouse nor barn. So he's referring back to the story of the rich man. You know, the storehouses and the barns, they don't have any of that. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Thank you, Jesus. That's easier said than done. Then he goes on in verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world, of the people far from God, Seek after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure <clears throat> to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. He's defining now what the kingdom of God is. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens, a heavenly treasure that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. <clears throat> See the way Jesus sets up how that, that's opposite of the parable? Like in the parable, the man is pursuing earthly treasure and building storehouses. And Jesus says, your father is pleased to offer you the kingdom where rather than you store up for yourselves, you sell your possessions, you give to the poor. Rather than having an earthly treasure, you have a treasure that will not just be passed on to the next person, but that will follow you into the heavens forever. See the way Jesus redirects there? He's like, you're all stressed about this, dude. The guy's like, I need my money from my parents and inheritance. And he's like, you're all stressed about this. Instead, focus on this. Focus on the kingdom. That's what you have. And it's interesting to me that 
what Jesus really does is he gives the guy something that he can control. Because so much of what worry comes from the fact that like, we usually worry about stuff we have, we have nothing to do with. What we're going to eat, whether we're going to have enough, um, uh, the, the span of our life, these are things that we can't control. Just You can't even add an hour to your life, so why are you so worried about all this stuff? can't do that. But then he redirects and says, instead, here's something you can focus on. You can focus on living generously. You can focus on kingdom of God values. And, and so much of that for me, like when I get into seasons of stress, I realize I'm stressed out over stuff that I can't do anything about. And instead, Jesus is like, here's a life of things that you can do. Here's a world of things that you can do and be a part of. And those things will give you an anchor in life, and I found that to be true. So let me give you a couple of just, just real quick points of, of, of life application here. <clears throat> Luke 12, I'm going to go down to verse 42 and 43, because Jesus moves into kind of another parable or metaphor. Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household? To give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Now here's what Jesus is saying. There's an owner. And the owner is going to give somebody, uh, going to entrust them with resources to give outwardly to people in the household who have need to make sure everybody gets their portion. And it's going to be really good for that person when the master sees them doing it. Ultimately, what Jesus is doing is he's inviting us into a mindset. And the mindset says this. It was all God's to begin with. I need that. I need that. I Tell my brother to give me. No, it's all God's to begin with. And God is looking for who is going to be faithful in taking what he gives them and making sure everybody else has their enough. See, at the end of the day, this guy that started the story out was focusing on gathering. And Jesus says, don't get focused on gathering. Instead, let God find you giving. Let God find you realizing it's all God's stuff. And I'm going to use it to make sure that everybody has their sell your possessions and give to the needy, Jesus says. And you'll have treasure in heaven. That's the mindset that says this is all God's. And I'm going to use it to make sure that everybody has their enough. See, going back to the barn thing, the guy had more than he needed. And instead, all he did was build bigger barns. The Jesus flow of life, the kingdom flow of life, I have more than I know what I need, and I have more than I need, and so I'm going to make sure other people have what they need. And so there's this little twofold uh, system that Jesus gives us in Matthew 23 23. Twofold system. And I've learned this in life. I'm not a systems guy at all. But what I've learned is that without systems, Nothing gets done. It's like if you're not intentional about something, it doesn't get done. And so you got to have a system. Jesus has a twofold system. The first is this. He says, if you want to get life right, do something to help people in need. Like do, do something about something. And so that's the first thing is we need a cause. We need something beyond ourselves that doesn't come back around to benefit ourselves somehow. We need to be giving ourselves away, our resources, our talents, our time, our energy, 
toward some kind of a need. And that's the first way to get life right. So I want you to ask yourself, do I have a cause that I'm really in? Posting on Facebook is not really doing something about a cause. Okay? Something that you're giving yourself away to make better that doesn't ultimately come back to benefit you. If you need help, uh, uh, there's things of Polaris that I could get you plugged in with, and, and you'll have a cause to pour into. Children, teens, something with the building, something to where you're giving yourself away. Beyond that, and a, a widow in your neighborhood, <clears throat> beyond just, hi, actually helping with stuff. Or, or maybe maybe there's, there's um, uh, something God is doing in your life. And you have a responsibility to help other people that aren't working. And you could be on the first rung of the ladder, just coming here on Sunday morning. Get the next person to come here on Sunday morning as well. Pass along what God has done in your life to someone else. And then you have to have something in your life that you're focused on with real energy doing something about. You've got to do something about something. And if you're not, and plenty of suburbia, does not take this past their own gathering, increase of their own collection of things, their own status, whatever. Some of you might not be growing spiritually, and you recognize that, and it's because you're not doing anything about anything. That's like having cinder blocks on your feet. To not have a cause that you're, I mean, you, you know, you're not moving forward because you're weighed down because your life is all about you and all about your family. And so find that thing to pour into. Now, second part of the cause in 23, Matthew 23, 23, I'm going to lob a grenade right now. And then I'm going to pray and walk off stage and, you know, Marcus can deal with it, okay? Jesus says you need to have a cause, and he says you need to tithe. You need to give at least 10% of your income away to things that God cares about. Now, I have a good, good friend that was talking with me on the patio about that. And he said, like, what is that? Like, is that a real thing? I'm like, yeah, it's really in the Bible. Jesus says it. The Old Testament says it. It's really there. And he just said, that's a blank of a lot of money. Only he didn't say blank. Okay? <clears throat> yes. It's a lot of money. But if you're looking for a system to make sure that you are not making your things all about you, that's God's system. Give 10% of everything you make away to things God cares about, and I have no idea what that is. Some, some of you give 10% to Polaris, and that's why there is a Polaris, because it's independent, and, that, and I'm very grateful for that. But I have no idea where God's going to ask you to give money. I, I have no idea, nor would, would we ever like, you know, this is not a shakedown. Like, like, I'm not like sizing up what you give to the car you drive, and, and our elders aren't going to show up to your house with black suits. Um, you know, hey, I see that you're a little light on the, uh, what, like that, like, you don't, that's the, the nice thing about players, you don't have to do anything, I say. Like, like there's no, you can say, I don't want to do that. And you're still allowed here. So this isn't like, a, I have no, like, emotional attachment to whether or not you tithe. I'm just telling you that, that you might have cinder blocks on your feet if you don't. Because in the Old Testament, God says, you're, you're robbing me. And he actually says, you're, you're working uphill in life. 
if you're not giving away 10. In fact, I had a guy come up to me, and this is no joke, had a guy come up to me after the first service, after my first round of material. And he said, Alex, you need to tell them about God's promise, where he says to test him. And what he was saying is, in, in the book of Malachi, God says, test me in this. Give me a tenth, and see if I do not pour out the floodgates of heaven, and you will have more than you can contain. And so this guy had experienced that in his life when he started to give 10%. And he said, you've got to tell people about that. Like, that's not in my transcript. There's about one in four Christians, followers of Jesus, who actually tithe. Only one in four. But in that one in four, they just... There is just an understanding that there is a supernatural flow to the universe. That when you are giving 10% away, you are growing spiritually, you are building a legacy, you are connecting with God, and there's just something to that, like the wind in your spiritual sails. And so I have no idea what God's going to call you to give toward. I really don't. I, I just, if we're looking for a system that helps make sure that you're not digging in the wrong place, that you're not experiencing anxiety over just because you're just pursuing wrong things. You find your cause and you give away 10%. And those two things, if you do that and trust that, you will have a life of adventure with God. You will have a life of meaning and fulfillment and joy and purpose. I promise this. And then when you do stand before God someday, you will have something with you to bring to the table. And you will leave behind an incredible legacy. So, um, let's stand. That's all I have to say about that. I hope you'll reread Luke 12 this week and think through how some of the stuff applies to you and your current situation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for taking on flesh. Thank you.